Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. So the topic today was going to be, I guess, specifically about um, uh, Title 42 um, that I think we needed more information about. There's been so many other things going on this week in the world of of immigration, thanks to uh, Florida's governor, that we're probably going to expand that a little bit. So we have asked and we have been pleased to receive the return of the Warrior Princess Immigration Attorney Nadine Brown, who joins us now. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine, thank you. Glad to have me, and I appreciate being here. Well, Thank you so much, and you know, you <laughs> saying that you're busy is an understatement. But I'm glad you you were able to get the time to take out for us today. So, um, well, let's start with the obvious. Um, what is Title Forty Two? So, Title Forty Two is a body of law um, that is uh, implemented, or or United States Code Title Forty Two. Um, federal regulations, essentially, um, that deals with the public health, social welfare, and civil rights um, provisions of that specific law. Um, As it relates to immigration, it allows the federal government to impose certain restrictions because of public health emergencies or crises that we're facing as a nation. And in our particular Uh, Recent history, it has been because of the global pandemic dealing with um, SARS-CoV-2 or the coronavirus. Um, So it has been implemented. Are you there? Oh, no. Did we lose Nadine? Yes, she dropped for just a moment. So obviously she had a bad connection or in. We'll take a 30-second break and come She's back. She's yeah, back. She, she's traveling. Oh, she's back. Sorry, okay, can you, good. Yeah, I can I'm hear you now. I'm sorry. Can you hear me? That's I don't know right. what happened. Yes, ma'am. Um, I am on a mobile phone, so I do apologize. But I was stating that it was uh, implemented, Title 42, uh, to restrict um, the flow of immigrants into the United States, particularly in the southern border because of the coronavirus pandemic and concerns Um, that we had about bringing people in who could potentially expose or increase the exposure rate for individuals who are already here. So 
why is there, there seems to be a panic around today uh, with, with Title 42. I, I guess it's ending today because um, they've loosened or eliminated the, a lot of the coronavirus restrictions for people coming into the country. Is that correct? That is, it's, it's coinciding with the Biden administration's lifting the emergency mandate when it comes to the pandemic and the need for um, vaccination requirements entering. Um, so that public announcement um, and the lifting of Title 42, there's confusion at the border because people believe that they can now come in and through the asylum process, um, be screened to have their applications reviewed at some future point, um, whether it's by an immigration officer or an immigration judge. Uh, so there is confusion as to what's going to happen. Um, people are flooding or the anticipation is that people will be flooding because now that they no longer have to demonstrate that they are vaccinated or that there are public health risk and so that they can just come in. But that is still not the case because Secretary Mayorkas did give a press conference yesterday and the administration has announced that our borders technically are not open. Um, we will allow the orderly migration of immigrants in. They have implemented uh, both uh, digital media through uh, certain apps, through Customs and Border Protection, to have people uh, submit their applications online for review. There's still the parole program where they're allowing in 30,000 individuals from um, countries who have sponsorship um, to come to the United States. So they're trying to um, reduce the influx of individuals coming through the borders or who may be uh, subject to, to staying in, in you know, tents or becoming homeless or just congregating, uh, waiting for some kind of screening event to happen. So, it, it, like I said, it just seems that there is a lot of worry and there's a lot of, oh, let's get this enacted, let's get this signed, let's get this, uh, you know, <laughs> enforced um, all of a sudden. It's almost like, you know, did someone just wake up and say, oh, these things are going to need to be in place when those COVID restrictions are are um, loosened, or there shouldn't. This seems like there should have been some sort of preparedness prior to now, or maybe they were, but it, they're just making it seem like there's a lot of desperation involved. I think it has to do with just the the media um, announcements. Um, there have been within the last you know few months um, leading up to this uh, lifting of restrictions the implementation of, again, again, the digital app uh, by Customs and Border Protection to help people orderly apply for asylum online um, or register um, their presence at the border requesting entry, um, uh, you know, through the sponsorship program if they're able to find financial sponsors. Um, so it's technically not all of a sudden. There has been a transition period um, much of society has been aware that there have been lifting of, you know, mask mandates and, um, you know, public venues, uh, some of the protocols that were in place that are no longer in place. So it's just a, a gradual, um, from an administrative perspective, um, easing into 
uh, normal, quote-unquote, uh, you know, doing business or, or trying to I think we've lost Attorney Brown again. She is traveling, uh, but she wanted to join us today. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. Uh, if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Good morning, and welcome back to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us. We are talking uh, immigration issues with Attorney Nadine Brown. And uh, go ahead, please, Nadine, with what you were saying. So I was um, explaining that there has been a gradual transition in place. It's just whether or not, you know, the news media has highlighted that, and we fixate on a specific date because of the announcements uh, from the administration and the press conference that was held yesterday. Um, But it's not an all-of-a-sudden thing. Um, It may be from the perspective of the individuals who are at the border who have been waiting for sometimes months, um, if not a few years, since the the, um, beginning of the pandemic to come in. So... It's just a matter of perspective, who's listening, who's waiting, um, who is already in the system, but, you know, they haven't seen any results. And the technology has been problematic. Just like I'm experiencing some difficulties today, um, people with the Customs and Border Protection app, um, you know, it either crashed because of too many people on it or there's still glitches that they're working out. So, Nothing is ever foolproof or 100% um, going to be totally effective. Talk about the what I've heard about the five-year uh, wait. If you know if people aren't able to to get, I guess, across or to to get you know the paperwork together or whatever by a certain deadline, can you explain about having to wait for five years? So I don't necessarily know that there's a five-year wait, but the wait will depend on, you know, when you came to the border, when your application was submitted. There's some people that are physically already inside the United States that have submitted applications and have been waiting seven, if not ten years for review. Every asylum applicant, um, if they're coming through the southern border, will have a a verbal or, you know, interview in person by a screener that's a Customs and Border Protection or um, ICE uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement Officer. But then they have to subsequently submit a written application um, either through the USCIS.gov portal um, more recently, but in years past it's a, a physical hard copy application form I-589 that is submitted with a supplement or additional documentation. And so some officer has to go through each one uh, and vet the information before an interview can be calendared. So there are individuals from all over the world who have been waiting 
for their interview who've already been here in the United States may have work authorization because they were eligible after 150 days of the application being pending. Um, but the ones who are coming in, um, who are in you know Texas or in Mexico waiting to come in, once they actually do get screened by a Customs and Border Protection Officer and can submit their applications in writing, then they may have a you know a longer period to wait. It's just manpower. It's just bureaucracy. It's chasing down information because every application for asylum has to also be reviewed through the State Department to verify some of the uh, information that's contained in the applications, and it's just very country-specific. So you have sometimes duplicate and triplicate applications that are going um, not only to the asylum officer's desk, but to the State Department so that their diplomatic channels can then uh, find out on the ground what's happening in those countries as far as a country condition report. So the asylum uh, application process is very comprehensive. It's not just the applicant submitting, but also the arms of government that have to verify the information. So that's so, why it takes you know, a number of years before someone can actually go and sit in front of an officer um, to tell their story. So just curious, I, you know, because I, I have no idea about the process. I've submitted an application, and um, I've managed to gain employment. Um, now, there's some talk about I'm, – but I'm still – am I still considered illegal at that point? So you're an applicant. I mean, you're an applicant until you're not. It's like you're pregnant until you're not. <laughs> um, it's one of those things where you're just an applicant for a benefit. People don't, are not conferred status until their application has been reviewed by an officer and approved. The decision has been made, and sometimes a, a decision being made is – not always the end because with due process means that if you're unhappy with this specific decision, most likely when it's negative, you may appeal the process or request a reconsideration. So up until you get like a final decision, um, you're just an applicant. So technically you're not illegal if you have submitted an application and you're in the queue waiting for review. Um, you're illegal, quote unquote, um, if you have entered without authorization or inspection of an officer and you have no valid visa status, um, and there's a variety or host of, of, of visas that you could obtain, um, usually abroad before you arrive in the United States, if you've submitted an application, you're just an applicant, you don't have or have not been conferred any kind of status, and you're just kind of waiting in limbo or in a technical um, state. Uh, you may have work authorization. That just means that you're eligible to work in the United States or seek employment. Um, but, you know, most states is an at-will unless you come as a contract worker uh, on a, uh, a work visa. But other than that, um, you're just an applicant waiting for a benefit. And, and the whole employment thing is, is another thing I wanted to ask about because now there seems to be uh, even a, a further crackdown on uh, – people who are hiring um, immigrants. Uh, and I wanted to, that's one of the reasons I wanted to find out. So if I've applied but not yet been approved or accepted um, it, it, and someone hires me, the person that hires me, are they in any type of risk 
by hiring me while I'm still in this limbo status? Um, so it's a complicated question, and the lawyer answer is it depends, but probably yes, um, because through the E-Verify system, which is a part of the Department of Homeland Security, employers are supposed to verify that their employees are eligible for work. That means that they have a valid Social Security uh, number because you are required to report Social Security earnings for your Social Security taxes, and that pays into our Social Security disability system, our Medicare uh, tax system, and also um, as an employer, you have responsibility for an employee gets injured on the job and you have to uh, pay workers' compensation benefits. So there's liability even if you have an, an unauthorized worker um, they can be an independent contractor, meaning that you're not responsible for the taxes, um, but there's still mm-hmm. liability if they get injured on the job or something happens. So it would be concerning if you're an employer hiring someone, uh, paying someone that is on a job site um, that opens you up to all sorts of risks in addition to liability from the Department of Homeland Security for, you know, work, you know, hiring somebody who's unauthorized to work. Um, that's a complicated response to your question, but as an employer, you need to check E-Verify, check the Social Security numbers, check the work cards, because um, there's also uh, periods of validity and periods of expiration. So work cards are maybe good for a year, some for two years more recently because of the processing time has been 18 months or longer. Uh, so as an employer, you need to verify. As an prospective employee, uh, you need to just hold that you have valid documents when you're seeking employment in whatever industry. So it really does not sound uh, favorable for for anyone, um, including those people that may be seeking asylum. It it just seems like, you know, if you're you're seeking to leave your country because you don't want to run the risk of getting gunned down just just for just for being you um you know and you try to come here to kind of get get away from that although i have to say with our, our violence increase increasing the way it is i you know i don't i don't know if coming here is necessarily such a good idea but i'm sure there's other issues that go on in some of these other countries um but it, it's just not a favorable situation it seems for anyone how often does someone after waiting for those number of years that you mentioned get just get accepted and how often do they get turned away or or and if they leave the country if they're here they leave the country do they run the risk uh do they have to like refile again are there any risks involved with leaving the country So asylum is a very complicated process. Um, Once you come in, you kind of wait until a decision is made in your case, and that may take years, as I said before, for the interview and then for a decision, for the vetting of information abroad as well as, um, you know, your statements and your documents um, because people have to submit, you know, birth certificates, hospital records, police records, court records, whatever to corroborate their – technically those things aren't legally required, but they – help support and strengthen your case. Um, So it may take a a number of years for that process to complete. And while you're waiting, 
it is not for you to leave because you lose your place in line. And essentially, an asylum claim is saying that if you return back to your country of origin, you'll be killed or harmed in some uh, in some way, either because of past persecution or future persecution. So leaving is a triggering event, which is essentially self-deporting, because if you came by foot and you were not inspected and have no other visa status, leaving the United States with an asylum pending is essentially self-deporting, and then you lose all rights to that asylum application. You're only allowed one asylum application if it is deemed a frivolous application, meaning that it has no basis and you're just kind of do it, doing it to bide your time or to get work authorization, you can also be denied and barred permanently from ever applying for asylum again in the future. Um, there are certain exceptions to that, um, you know, conventions against torture, but those are higher burdens and you have to have a clear and convincing uh, case uh, before an immigration judge or the Board of Immigration Appeals or a federal court to establish um, that those are the circumstances. Um, so if you're here, you submitted an application for asylum, you're in a holding pattern or in limbo just waiting for the adjudication of that application. You're not going anywhere. You should not be going anywhere. And your departure is a signal that your case was not strong enough because if you're in fear for your life, why would you leave? So now, are employers responsible, let's say, um, whether they hire you, hire you or not, are they responsible for reporting uh, immigrants that they suspect might be illegal? I mean, they, they get all of the paperwork, so they should know, right? Right. They do, I mean, when you're completing your, you know, employee package and you're completing your I-9 forms and your W-4s for those withholdings and, you know, deductions that your employer is supposed to take out, again, your Social Security, FICA taxes, um, uh, you know, workers' compensation coverage, et cetera, your, uh, you know, Florida unemployment tax and those things, your employer is supposed to know who you are, when you're on the job site, you know, what your vacation and sick pay is, um, depending on your benefits, and when you are, you know, severed or let go, um, they don't necessarily have an affirmative duty to report you to anybody. Um, it just depends on, you know, the voluntary action of the specific individual, but since we're mainly at will states, if you get let go meaning that you're terminated for whatever reason, um, usually for cause, um, then they don't have to report you as, you know, you shouldn't be legal anyway, um, but they, no, they don't report, and they shouldn't be reporting. So, um, and, and I really didn't get a chance. My, my computer decided to do some things this morning, like updates and all kinds of things, so I didn't get a chance to pull as much as I wanted to, but um, we heard about we heard about the governor signing a variety of, of bills uh, regarding immigration. I, I wanted to get your take, in, and also, too, he, I guess he's starting back the uh, transfer of immigrants Transporting to other states. out of our state, yeah. 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 Um, so it's, concern, it's concerning. I think he signed into law certain requirements that uh, employers, to your last question, above um, employers who had more than, I think, I want to say 20,000 uh, employees had an affirmative duty to report or to confirm 
uh, employment eligibility through the E-Verify system, and that's through Social Security, just making sure that all the numbers match the individuals, um, their dates, dates of birth and who they say that they are. Um, and then, you know, the legislature of the state of Florida giving him, you know, a $12 million check to transport uh, immigrants um, outside of our state, um, essentially just saying that, you know, we don't want them um, but it's it's problematic for a variety of reasons. It just is bad PR, um, my opinion. Uh, you know, he may think it's it's wonderful for his base because why do we need so many people coming here and and taking our you know benefits and using our resources? Um, but it's it's a political move, just like everything else that he's done to date. Well, my, you know, my thinking is if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in terms of your job or whatever else, um, this shouldn't be a problem. Um, I, I kind of – I'm not an immigrant, but years ago um, I had an issue on one of my jobs with um, someone that pulled me aside and said, um, you know, you, you, know you, you need to kind of, I guess – rein it in or tone it down because you're making the rest of us look bad. And I was like, I'm just doing my job, right? And, you know, and, my, and I was in my early, early 20s, and my mom was like, they're afraid you're going to take their jobs. And I'm like, I'm not gunning for anybody's job. I'm just trying to do mine, you know. But with the, my thinking is with the influx of people that we have coming to Florida, not, not, Immigrants, legal or, or illegal, but just people coming, just crossing state borders because they don't like the weather up north or whatever the case may be. But with the influx of people that Florida continues to have, there will be jobs available for people to, to have without them taking someone else's, in, in my opinion, because people coming here are going to need housing. They're going to be those types of jobs. That you know, you're going to need to have more places to eat. There, you know, beauticians and barbers are going to get more customers. You know, I this is, and I may be naive, but this is my opinion that uh, if if you are good at what you do, then you will keep a job. You know, even if you have to, even if you're working for someone else and they decide, you know, you're not within their budget. A lot, you know, you can do what a lot of people did during COVID, and that is to go strike up, strike out on your own, and create, you know, and create your own, create your own business with the skills that you have. I would agree with that statement uh, for sure. It's, I mean, it's irrespective of your status, um, if you have entrepreneurial skills or you have a motivation, motivating factor to create new industry or to help society. Um, you know, solve some problem. Um, a lot of the solutions that have been created are um, through immigrants or by immigrants. Um, you know, everybody mm-hmm. lauds Elon Musk for, I guess, his ingenuity, and he is an immigrant. Um, you know, we we think about different things that are attractive um, socially or business-wise, and, you know, immigrants have always been the uh, bedrock of how the United States has come to be, whether it's through um, providing labor or providing uh, technology and, and um, entrepreneurial skills. So whether it's, you know, service sector, um, hospitality, nursing and public health, 
uh, we've mm-hmm. always been there and relied on the immigrant population, skilled and unskilled. And the one thing I, I still think that people need to be reminded of is that um, whether it's it may be us personally or it may be our, our parent or grandparent, great-grandparent, whatever, just about all of us came from somewhere else, okay? You know, that we, we were the new world, the new country, okay? Um, we, we aren't considered the old country by any stretch of the imagination. And so when you, when you think about it, you, you know, you, we, just about everybody, most folks have, have immigrated or have had people to immigrate from somewhere else um, by choice unless you were uh, the victim of slavery or, or, or you know, if, or um, I was going to say or Native Americans who were uh, moved, you know, take, who had land taken away from them and, and our own reservations. I, those are the only, well, there may be more, but those are the key categories that I think of when I think of people who have a right to, to kind of just not be uh, uh, intimidated or, you know, because about being in this country. Everybody else has come to this country either, you know, by choice or their, you know, their parents or grandparents or great-grandparents came for a better life here, including our governor. So, This is true. It also has to do with the perception of identity and ownership. Um, what exactly do you own? Um, you know, if you think it's your identity that is yours, um, or the property that you now occupy. Uh, so I think it's, it has to do with that, and some of us don't have a concept of our own identity in, in relationship to other people, so, or what ownership means um, in relation to you know, what other people have or don't have. So I think that is the crux of the issue, but correct to your statement that some of us came, many of us came from somewhere, um, and even, even the native populations, they were very migratory or nomadic. So it's not like the land mm-hmm. belongs to anybody. It belongs to all of us. We're stewards. We're just, you know, giving it on loan from God, if you're a believer. That's true. That is so true. And that's why I always say, you know, instead of all of these people that are trying to go to Mars, you need to take care of what God gave you because, you know, that he gave it to us to take care of. Amen. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We are here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown, Esquire. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar. Or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. 
whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are here with Immigration Attorney Nadine Brown. If you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. So, Nadine, what do you foresee in terms of how these particular um, you know, bills that are being signed and, and laws that are being enacted – um, impact, how do you foresee those impacting what you do and the clients you serve right now? I think it um, will probably get a lot more people to be aware of kind of where their position is, either in a queue or what they need to do. I think the pandemic has um, woken a lot of people up as far as uh, where are they in their journey and what do they need to do to kind of get business done. Um, so, you know, there's been an uptick in in all the areas that I practice, um, primarily with immigration, but, you know, with probate and with family law, uh, people kind of let me get my stuff together or find out what I need to do. Um, and so with all the enactments, you know, either, either in the state legislature or federally, it's let me see what's going on, where am I in the process or where do I need to be? Um, so I think it's first just, you know, increasing awareness, getting information, which is most of what I do is telling people about the process, um, about the laws, how it may affect them. And then the other component is whether or not those laws will be enforceable because a bill that is signed today by our governor or, you know, executive order that's implemented, uh, there are other aspects of, of uh, lawmaking that may impact the end result, whether it's a litigation in court questioning the constitutionality or the effectiveness of a particular law. And we see that with the Supreme Court decisions or appeal court decisions or, you know, the appeal court judges one day, you know, one in Texas says this, the next day somebody in Tampa says that. Um, so there's this ping pong back and forth until it's, you know, resolved. So even though a bill may be signed, it's today it may look like this, but, you know, Different states um, may implement it differently, may enforce it differently. Um, so at the end of the day, it's just where you are when you start the process and where you complete the process. And for me, it's trying to keep on top of all of that uh, so that I can inform my client, you know, what a suitable outcome or probability may be if they initiate a process or um, want to, uh, you know, get a benefit. So it, it just depends. But um, there's a lot that's happening legislatively, laws that are being enacted, more restrictive um, policies being implemented because of the Republican agenda um, and the upcoming election. So, you know, what's good for certain um, political parties or bases or, you know, social media outlets, uh, it just depends on who you are and what you need or what you think is going to happen. I've always had a question, too, about uh, status once you're approved, once you become a citizen. Um, can that be taken away? 
is it so conditional or once you're a citizen so, are you forever yeah, a citizen so there's um two things first is if you're an asylee um that's that means you've completed the asylum process and you approved you just don't get the green card right away you, there's also another queue that you have to join to get permanent residency and once you become a permanent resident then you have generally a five-year period before you're eligible for citizenship um, unless it's through marriage to a U.S. citizen and then you're eligible after three years. But once you become a citizen, um, technically they cannot take it away from you. And, again, the lawyer answer is it depends. Unless you engage in treason or espionage or you revoke your citizenship, it's yours for life. Um, you just need to register to vote and apply for your U.S. passport if you ever plan on, on traveling outside the U.S. Um, but uh, there is a two-year period if you become naturalized um, where they almost like a look-back period uh, in case your citizenship or naturalization was acquired through fraud, and there are people who um, sometimes misrepresent information or facts or they're confused. So there's a two-year period after you're naturalized in which it can be revoked or rescinded. Uh, but for the majority of people, and that's very rare, a majority of people, once you're a citizen, then you're kind of like in. It's the last stop. But they make sure, they meaning the USCIS application, before they confer citizenship upon you and you take your oath of, of naturalization. What is going on now with um, the DREAMers? I know there was a lot of controversy for a while about uh, the DREAMers if, and the, and the DREAMers Act. So can you give us an update? Yeah, there's still controversy. There's still legislation that has been proposed. But, again, the bureaucratic process is that, you know, once it's in committee and it gets revised and there's a lot of um, dealing and negotiations, it depends on what the outcome would be. I, I doubt that the DREAMers will ever get, within the next, you know, few years, a more permanent status. Um, so they just continue to renew their work authorizations and, um, uh, you know, their their applications. Uh, as dreamers uh, for at least a two-year period, and it's kind of just pending. They're another group that's in limbo, roughly about 800,000 individuals across the United States, but um, no updates other than they're still waiting for their their time. That is quite sad, you know, because I've heard every now and then of stories where people have been sent back to the country that, they don't know or they don't remember because they were brought over here as, you know, babies, toddlers, kids, you know. Um, And so it's very tragic. Yeah. And and it's like, where are you sending them to? Uh, You know, you're sending them to a country where they probably do not speak the same language, you know, no matter, you know, where where they were born. Um, They have more in common with, with, uh, individuals here than they do with individuals from the country where they were born and so you know it's it's, it's unfortunate so so what are the the key things that we should be looking at going forward so with immigration is just to be informed and to be aware and um you know if you are an immigrant and you're here and you don't have status you need to find out how you could obtain status from a reputable individual because like every area there's always scammers or people that are trying to get over to deceive and just to get your money because it can be a lucrative 
um, business, whether it's, you know, coyotes trying to get people to the United States, physically smuggling them in or finding pathways in. Um, and then mm. there's a whole, you know, area of people who are just um, filling out applications for people who may not be eligible or they improperly file things or misrepresent information. So it's just to make sure that you have the correct information. If you have family members that are outside trying to get in, understanding the process, um, whether it's through the State Department because they have the consular process through an embassy or post overseas versus the ones who are here on different status, um, non-immigrant visas, trying to convert or change their status to now permanent residency, either through family um, or through employer. And there's um, nuances to every area of immigration, just like law. It's not always cut and dry. It depends. Probabilities you know, circumstances, the facts shape the outcome, and the regulations are constantly shifting beneath your feet. So it's to make sure that you have somebody that you trust, that you can rely on, and a lot of it is through social networks. Um, you know, immigrants are very tight communities. Um, they're very sociable uh, through churches, mm -hmm. civic organizations. Um, so it's, it's just to make sure that you get the right information before you embark on that journey of applying and interviewing and then, you know, getting to citizenship. Uh, whichever country you're from and their requirements based on certain countries, certain times that you have entered, meaning the, the time period or window in which you may become eligible or, or can apply for certain benefits. Um, so from here, it's just to stay focus legitimate news because there's a lot of misinformation through social media as well, um, which is different from the social networks, which may be, you know, in-person word of mouth, which is where most people get their information versus having to rely on, you know, a WhatsApp meme or Facebook or Twitter or even, you know, Instagram, but making sure that you verify the information that you receive. Is there a shortage of attorneys in your field, Nadine? I don't think so. What there's a shortage of is maybe volunteer attorneys um, because it becomes problematic when you're in situations where there are children or people who do not have work authorization may not be able to pay fees, um, you know, or pay application uh, fees. So it, it becomes problematic. But I think there's, there's enough of us if, you know, people uh, need services, they can always find it. Um, what has been circulating is whether or not you know, just like with the, the criminal area of law, um, immigrants should be should have the right to counsel and that they should be provided one if they're coming in through the borders, whether it's the asylum process. Um, and that's, you know, just depending on your perspective, whether or not you believe that, you know, immigrants are people too and they have a right to counsel um, and one should be provided for them versus it's like everything else, you pay as you go and it's what you can afford. Um, but there there should be enough individuals, and there are also um, Board of Immigration Appeals uh, accredited representatives who have to go through significant training, and a lot of them are through faith-based faith organizations. So there's an accreditation process for individuals who are not attorneys but can assist, but they have been specifically trained to deal with uh, the immigrant population of you know varying ethnic uh, or heritage. Okay. We are going to take our next break, our final break, and um, I'm going to go in a different direction, different conversation when we come back, unless you have some things that you want to tie up or wrap up. But uh, no, if you have questions or comments, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nadine. No, that's fine. That's fine. 
Okay. Questions or comments? The number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs, owner and funeral director at Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community with two generations of family funeral service. With the recent addition of my son, Brandon, we are here to take care of the needs of Central and West Orlando. From simple cremation to a full burial, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here to help you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garrison. Uh, you may know me as Timmy G. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the Arglatex. And I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight, on KHAM Radio. Are you? Hey there, welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we're here with immigration attorney Nadine Brown. And if you have any um, comments or questions regarding the subject, the number is 516-387-1944. But we're going to turn now and talk to Mama Nadine. Mother's Day is (laughs) coming up soon. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. And um, so tell me about your motherhood journey and um, talk about how it's the same and how it's different than your journey with with your mom. So um, briefly, I can tell you that um, my journey has been very interesting, challenging, exciting, exhilarating, and frustrating. Um, All at the same time, I had uh, traumatic pregnancy experiences, um, but birthed two beautiful babies. Um, One is 14 now, uh, my my girl, and my son, who is 11, um, he does have some special needs. He was essentially born blind or with a visual impairment. Um, So that's been a challenge in and of itself, in and out of um, medical procedures. Um, So, you know, that has been taxing, but my faith and the the brilliance of some surgeons' um, ophthalmology has, um, you know, helped us through those difficult uh, times. Um, a lot of it has been also now the challenge has been with education and making sure that they get through. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a, a, a mixed bag, but overall I'm grateful. Um, and they bring me a lot of joy and, you know, they are a gift. So it's been uh, a growth process. Um, I guess to the other points of your, of your question, being a mom now is very different than I think when I was a child and I look at, you know, my relationship with my mother, um, it was generationally extremely um, different in that my mom worked a lot and it wasn't, you know, it was primarily because she needed to. Uh, and so a lot of responsibility fell, fell on me, child of, of you know, uh, two siblings, a two uh, ch- child household. 
And so there's been like a just differences in the way that, you know, I do things for my mom. My relationship with my mother is more hierarchical than more lateral with my kids where, you know, my kids sometimes forget that I'm the parent because uh, I'm like living my childhood with them, through them. We laugh a lot um, more than I did when I was a kid. Um, I was a latchkey kid. Uh, I understood that my parents had to work just because of the economic times of the, the 80s. Um, you know, what my mother had to do also as an immigrant woman coming to reestablish her life here with her family uh, and her journey. So I give much respect to her, um, love her for who she is, you know, that there's tremendous differences in how we um, nurture, um, you know, the kids now. Um, there's a degree of, of distance between myself and my mother, whereas the proximity with my kids is, like I said, very different. You know, my, my daughter thinks that I'm her sister friend, but she knows when I'm mom because I have to establish some, some rules and some boundaries. Um, but overall, the differences um, uh, just make the, the similarities a lot more glaring and a lot better, um, if that answers your question. Yes, I'm, I'm thinking about probably how you do have to do, like my mom probably had to do with me and in terms of reminding them, you kind of give them the look, right? I yeah, side eye. Um, it is, mm-hmm. You know, at the end of at the end of the day, though, they know that they have a freedom of choice, which is one of the things that this beautiful democracy um, does teach us. And so I try to instill that in them. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, what choices are you making? And mom will impose her will when she needs to. But you know, ultimately, you have choices that you need to make. Um, so yes, there is that. Um, you have to understand what the confines of proper behavior, proper etiquette, good decision making, what it looks like versus you can just, you know, do whatever you think you can do, but you can't. So, um, and, it's, and it's kind of different from when I grew up, you know, your parents, it was like you're seen and not heard. You kind of know that there were like severe consequences, whether it was corporal punishment or you got your stuff taken away. Um you know, versus now I just say, okay, are you making good choices? And, and I don't utilize much corporal punishment, but there will be like, uh, you know, restrictions or you can't do this or you can't do that or what do you think a consequence of your actions or your behavior is going to be today when it comes to either, you know, electronics or technology. Um, but, yes, there is that side eye. There is that let me put you in the back room so you know, you know, what you should be doing versus what you are doing. Mm-hmm. But I don't have, but I don't have those conversations anymore. Once they like, you know, grew past age five, it was like, okay, they understood. Oh, good. Um, so you mentioned a bit about having difficult pregnancy both times, one time. Um, I did. And so I, you know, yeah. So it's one of those things where you know you hear different women's stories, and um, especially now the, you know, the main focus has been on you know. Um, African-American women and the maternity journey and, um, you know, um, infant mortality. Um, But I had a challenging experience, one, because of, you know, my, um, I guess, background. um, Just just, I had what they call 
placenta previa. So it was like I had a bleeding issue if I were to give give birth. And then the hospital journey was also challenging because I had what they call a hyperemesis, which was essentially you're dehydrated and you can't uh, keep food down. So it was it was challenging for both pregnancies um, in that respect. So I was in and out of hospital. Um, but at the end of the day, once they, you know, figured out what was going on and I could get um, sort of uh, the medications that I needed, I was able to sustain my pregnancy. Um, and then, you know, the whole uh, breastfeeding journey um, and then just, you know, having to look for childcare, being a professional working mom and all those things um, rolled into one. But I was at risk for, um, you know, bleeding with the pregnancy um, I've heard other women's journeys, you know, some people have, you know, multiple births and everything is great and it's natural. Other people, they have to go through a cesarean section just because of um, the complications, um, whether it's, you know, preeclampsia and the high blood pressure or um, just the formation in the womb, the different types of, of uh, clinical issues that, you know, women, have, women of color have, also prenatal care, um, also intersection intersecting with the healthcare system and, you know, whether or not you can find a suitable uh, obstetrician um, that has and understands, you know, your needs. If you are somebody that was suffering from fibroids or you had um, endometriosis or adenomyosis or any kind of bleeding issue, then those are things that are concerning that, you know, you have to get under control, whether it's also high blood pressure or weight management, nutrition, all of that. Um, were things that I had to deal with and educate myself about and also dealing with the hospital system being in and out, losing health insurance, um, gaining health insurance, you know, all of those things. And then where you go to actually give birth, um, you know, it was, a, it was a part of my journey and a rich experience, um, traumatic for a variety of reasons. Um, but, you know, there were, there were moments where, I didn't think I was going to make it because of the hyperemesis and just not being able to keep food down and trying to, but my baby was sustained uh, through, um, you know, whatever it was, it was taking through the umbilical cord. But uh, for me as a mom, you know, carrying a child, it was, it was upsetting because there was experiences where, you know, nurses were like, okay, you need to just do this or do that. And it's, it's not always easy for everybody who is who is pregnant. Um. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, we've touched on and I really wanted to kind of go more in depth with and they've had stories every now and then, but I don't think they address it enough about maternal mortality, not infant mortality, but maternal mortality in this mm-hmm. country. Um, and more specifically among African-American women. And you sound like you very well could have almost been one of those victims in that number. Um, You know, thank God you were not. You know, thank God you're here to tell the story. Um, But it's, you know, I'm glad you shared because I think we need to have someone that, you know, people hopefully who have listened to my show and have heard you before are you know you're someone that they're familiar with now, and you can actually share the story that you know hey this is this is a difficult journey this is real i almost i felt like I could have lost my life you know it, for this jo- joyous occasion and for the joy of having children 
you know, and so it's necessary, and we have to stress that it's necessary that people who are planning on having children or are pregnant now, the the need to take care of themselves, the need to ask questions from the professionals, the need to try to make the the, the right decision for you in terms of how you're going to get through the pregnancy, you know? Definitely, definitely. Um, there, there are many things that happen, and it's a show that I would love if you ever have you know, have the opportunity to provide that platform uh, to deep dive into the the different, um, you know, avenues of trying to get prenatal care, what happens if you had insurance and then you lose insurance because, you know, if you're on bed rest and you're not able to work or your employer can't give you accommodations or like me, I'm self-employed and it's like, okay, so you have to be on bed rest. That means that you're not going to court or you're not doing X, Y, and Z. That means you have no income, making sure that, you have the property disability insurance and then having to fight with, um, you know, the insurance company to what qualifies as a disability, um, you know, when you're, when you're pregnant. Uh, so it's, it's all of that that I had to experience, that I had to navigate. Successfully I did it, but was it traumatic? Yes. Um, it could have been a different uh, pregnancy outcome. Um, I bled a lot. Um, you know, my medical history uh, plays into that, but a lot of us, we don't have choices in, in how we get to the point, and then we decide that, we, you know, we're going to have children um, and hope that always it's going to be a positive, healthy outcome, but the journey may not be. Um, so it's to make sure that people are aware of what their options are, what their choices are, what the medical community provides, how you can be articulate or not, or if you're listless and lethargic or you're out of it or you're on an IV or you're in, you know, an emergency room, um, uh, you know, observation room, what that means. If you have no patient advocate and they're, you know, throwing you out of the hospital, if you need to go from, um, you know, Advent Health, uh, Alphamont Springs, where I was, to Winnie Palmer because they could um, assist you because of the medical complications, but how are you going to get there if you don't have family support? So those are things that people need to be aware of, that mine was probably a worst-case scenario, and I'm that I made it through, and um, still better than, you know, some other women's stories. Um, and there's just a spectrum of things that people need to be aware of. But motherhood can be an incredible joy. It's a tremendous journey. Um, but the process sometimes of getting there is not always easy. Wish we had more time because I had more questions, but I thank you for sharing that because I think that was truly important. So uh, quickly, Nadine, how do we reach you? So you can reach me by phone, my office phone, 407-678-2224, always by email. I continue to work remotely because I'm most of what I do is, is motherhood and caregiving for my own mother as well as for my kids. Um, so email esquirebrown at nadinebrownpa.com. You can always um, access information about my skills and qualifications on my website, nadinebrownpa.com. You can follow me on Facebook. I do post from time to time interesting, informative um, articles that keep people aware of what their rights are and how to vote, what to vote for, what they should know. Uh, so um, just be vigilant, God be aware you, in the know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you. Always a pleasure. You come back anytime. And thank you all for listening. The Diet Divas on tomorrow. State Representative Bruce Antone on Monday. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. And please remember, be well, be safe, be blessed, and all real power comes from God. Take care. <laughs>